This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Both know that we don't need a scientific study to know how damaging and harmful words can be. We've all felt it firsthand. Uh, Perhaps you saw the Wallabies head coach, Eddie Jones, this week break his professionalism uh, in a press conference. Let me read you some of his quotes as he spoke to the journalists. Uh, This is essentially what he said, overwhelmed by the negative words of the Australian media. I can't believe the level of negativity here, boys. You're so bloody negative. If you haven't got anything positive to say, don't. I can feel this negativity. I've got to go wash myself off. And he stormed out of the press conference. I think for him it was particularly difficult in a week where everyone was praising the Matildas as we should and be positive. Uh, Everyone was being so negative about his Australian team to the point where he could feel it. He felt he needed to wash himself off. Have you ever felt like that? Someone's words make you feel like you need to wash yourself off. Words have started wars, ended friendships, torn lives apart. Some words have rooted themselves so deep, even decades pass and the pain remains. I've been hurt, you've been hurt, and I have no doubt that we have all hurt others with our words. Words have ended lives. Michelle Carter, a 17-year-old in America, was convicted of manslaughter for texting her boyfriend to the point of death, encouraging him to end his life. And she was convicted for that. Words are powerful. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit, whether good or bad. Pain, sorrow, hurt, betrayal, words, church, these things ought not to be. There has to be a better way. This morning I'm going to be reading from the book of James and uh, James is talking all about words, particularly negative ones. And in some sense, I think this passage is obvious. I think as I read it to you now, when I go through it like line by line, I think we're all going to sit here and say, yeah, that's obvious. Words are powerful. They can do such damage. They spread like wildfire. We all know that. But I'm praying this morning that these things ought not to be. And perhaps there's a better way and perhaps we can learn it together. So first, I'd like to read the passage and I'm going to interject throughout with some various thoughts. I know Johnny's also going to preach on this passage tonight and I encourage everyone to listen to the podcast uh, throughout the week and listen to Johnny's sermon tonight because I know he's going to... Well, actually, we might have just been dreaming about different words within the passage or he might speak about them. So if you want to delve deep into some of the words and some of the intent, then I encourage you to listen to that passage. But I want to do this a bit uh, creatively this morning. Let's read James 3 onwards. James 3 onwards. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. A warning to people like me who hold microphones. 
Be careful what you say. Uh, As someone who calls myself a pastor, teacher, whatever title they give us in the land of the institutional church, I have been burnt by this many a time. I remember when I first began my role here as a youth pastor, uh, outside of church I was sitting with a bunch of youth leaders and inappropriately I made a joke about a mental health condition, not knowing that a specific youth leader I was with Um, had that mental health condition and it was wrong and it was bad and it was awful and since then I've tried to learn to control my words and I had to meet with that youth leader and apologize profusely but listening to the youth leader it was interesting they weren't hurt by my joke they were hurt that the fact someone with my title would make that joke are you with me when we carry the title of Christian around with us when we're carrying our cross People will judge us differently. Therefore, we should be careful with our words. And I like to think James is just starting this passage, like almost like talking to his fellow peers, you know, talking to other Christians, saying, oh, not many of you should be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. It's almost like he's going, I've felt the pangs of that. So be careful. Be careful. Be careful. If you're someone who walks around with an air of religion, be careful with your words. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Oh, wouldn't it be good if I could control my tongue and be absolutely perfect? Luckily, I've read the rest of the Bible, including the beginning of it, where humans fall, and I know that I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes with my words. You're going to make mistakes with our words. None of us are perfect. We need Jesus. But imagine if we could control our tongue. James is saying, if you could control your tongue, you could control everything. You could be almost perfect. We know that Jesus was the only perfect man. If we put bits... um, Chris, I'm going to break the fourth wall here for a second. But I forget what I broke these passages up on the screen. So can you follow me a little bit and just change the slide when I get to the... Thank you, Chris. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Uh, I spoke about this in a previous sermon from the first uh, chapter of James, talking about the bits in the tongues, uh, in the mouth of horses, and how we we should, uh, the way we control horses with the bits, we should control our own tongue and control what we say. And I talked about how some horses are ridden into battle, some horses are ridden in equestrian competitions, some horses are just ridden for leisure, a leisurely stroll around the paddock. And I said that uh, that passage is not about being silent; it's about being in control. And so we should be in control of our words, knowing that sometimes we must make a stand for what is right, just like Jesus did with his words. Sometimes Jesus did get angry at the Pharisees when the time was right, but he had control of his tongue. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. I grew up water skiing pretty much every weekend. I've said it before, I'm named after ski boats. Lewis, the brand of ski boat my parents wanted but couldn't afford. Ramsey, my middle name, the brand of ski boat they did own. They went on to test drive a Lewis and went, not very good. They bought a Raider instead. Imagine my name could have been Raider Ramsey. I love that thought. 
And I remember uh, it was my dad, you know, you get home and my dad was very pretending. He loved his boat. Like I would get home from school, he'd be working on the engine every single day. Like he just loved it. It was like trying to get it milliseconds faster. But I remember when we get home from water skiing a whole big day and we had to wash out the engine and flush the engine of the water and make sure it was all nice and clean and wash it down. Uh, there would be a moment where my dad would be looking over the whole boat and he'd say, Lewis, I need you to go up to the steering wheel and just set the rudder straight for me. And I would go to the front of the boat and I'd set the rudder straight as he's washing it all down or move it around so he can wash in underneath the whole engine. And I remember turning that. I remember sometimes I would go back to the back of the boat and as a child, now we all know this as adults that boats have rudders, but as a child, seeing this tiny little plate of metal the size of an A5 book, knowing that that tiny little plate of metal as it turns, turns that whole ski boat. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you've had the joy of sitting in a ski boat, but I tell you what, when we used to turn that steering wheel going full speed, because every time we went out, Dad wanted to test the top speed just to make sure it was running perfectly, and you would just turn that steering wheel and with this tiny little bit of metal, you could, you could do, like, the turns you could do were amazing. As a kid, it blew my mind. Now, we all know that, we all know that, the rudder of a boat controls a boat. We've all, we all understand that. But I, imagine it now with childlike eyes. Do you remember when you first realised? Do you remember when you first realised these things? It's like the tongue. It's a tiny little bit of the body. It seems to be able to turn situations in so many ways, whether for good or for bad. That's like the tongue. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Boy, can the tongue boast. I've certainly been caught boasting before uh, out of pride and ambition. Yet I think what this passage is trying to say is like, if the, tongue, if the tongue had its own little mouth and it could brag to all the other parts of the body, it would say, look at me, I'm powerful. The tongue could do that. It would say, take that pinky finger. I'm strong. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That's true. Growing up in the country, I, I guess here too, very native land, Australia. But it was like, I remember vividly when bushfires were set in my hometown because someone would throw a cigarette out a window while they're driving along. Tiny little spark, tiny little fire can set a whole forest ablaze. By such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. <coughs> Strong words. Set on fire by hell. Set ablaze by such a small fire. This tongue is damaging. It reveals our unrighteousness. You only have to listen to someone speak for a short amount of time to realize, okay, human beings have an issue. It can reveal our unrighteousness. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Uh, I don't have that particular set of skills. I'm also bad at taming animals. Uh, any pet I've had. Not very well behaved. <laughs> but theory, in theory, we should be able to do it. But no human being can tame the tongue. James almost like, oh, he's like, ah, how sad that we can't tame this thing. It does so much damage. Why can we not tame it? 
but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A restless evil full of deadly poison. As I said at the beginning, whether we've felt words or whether we've spoken them over others, that sentence is just obvious. James is preaching to the choir. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The same tongue. We come in on Sundays and we bless each other, and with that same tongue, we curse people. Cursing here, I think James would intend to be quite broad with that sentence. What does it mean to curse people? Uh, I think it could mean anything from gossip to saying a mean word to wishing evil upon to just having bitter annoyance that comes out when you're talking to your close friends. I've been there. You've been there. I think it's important we try to bless more than we curse. Recently, I've included a practice in my life where I try to bless people by name, uh, people that have hurt me, or uh, even just minor annoyances, uh, I'll just say, uh, God, I bless this person. Uh, often my lists are quite wrong, so I don't know, long, so I don't know what that reveals about me. <laughs> and uh, people get awfully offended if I'm praying with them, and then I ask that God would bless them because they're a bit confused as to what that might mean <laughs> coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Practice, you know. And the reason I have to include that is because I know it is so easy to talk down on others who have annoyed me or hurt me. Uh, so I have included practice every day where I sit down and I try to bless people by name, including, uh, including servers at cafes, you know, all these little things, uh, people that I love. Uh, it's, it's a daily practice for me. But from the same tongue comes cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Negative words have power. We know that. And I think, James is not, I think James is not imploring every person to be perfect. He can't. He knows that only Christ can make us perfect. And if you have been in the church for a long time, you would understand we use this really Christianese word called sanctification that normal everyday people don't know. But, you know, you learn it in Bible college. We say it in sermons every now and then. But this word sanctification, meaning when you become a Christian, you are on an ongoing journey of becoming more like Christ until we reach heaven. And in heaven, all our words will be perfect. We will have reached the fullness, the fullness of Christ. But right now in this life, as hard as I try to tame my tongue, as I can be Christ-like as I want, I'm still going to make mistakes with my words. And you're still going to make mistakes with our words. And I can promise you we're not going to banish you from this church for making mistakes with your words. Because I would also have to quit and leave, as would every other member of our staff team. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't listen to this encouragement and do what 
whatever I can to be positive and to be like Christ with the Spirit's empowering. The Holy Spirit was with us. He gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Perhaps we can grow in self-control and control our tongue more and more. Because as much as negative words have power, positive words have power as well. Negative words have changed my life for the bad, but positive words have changed it for the better. I'm participating in the Life in the Spirit course, and I'm reassessing everything I believe about spiritual gifts as I do it, and I think it's good. I know like, like, like me, many of you have had negative and positive experiences of churches using spiritual gifts, and one of the churches I was a part of was big on prophecy. They would have a traveling prophet, and I remember that, that sermon that week was the prophet would get up, and he would say something along the lines of, close those doors. <laughs> They'd close the doors. It was, it was a joke, but it was very funny to watch people get nervous. And then the whole sermon would be the travelling prophet point to random people in the crowd and start giving words of knowledge or words of wisdom. And, and sometimes it was really out there. You're going to own a trucking business one day and everyone would be like, what? And part of me questions this style of prophecy. And then sometimes he would go to other people and just encourage them. I remember the most impactful prophecy I ever saw in that environment, and perhaps the most true, there was a frail old man, and he pointed at the man, the man stood to his feet. He hovered for about 30 seconds without saying a word, and he said, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you to know he loves you. Jesus is saying he loves you. This man broke down in tears more than any of the other fancy prophecies. Perhaps that's the most true prophecy. Words are powerful. And uh, I wanted to prove this prophetic stuff wrong. So they were holding a prophetic workshop, which I had to pay for, of course, but that's another story. Uh, so you go to the prophetic workshop, and I'm like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prove this wrong. I grew up Lutheran. None of this stuff is real. I've never heard about this before. This is kooky. This is strange. And so I go to the prophetic workshop just thinking I'm going to prove the whole thing wrong. And... Uh, whether or not I believe in it or not, this man's words changed my life. So I sat in the prophetic workshop with an entirely deep amount of like cynicism. Uh, my turn came. And he gave me quite a long prophecy. But part of the prophecy was, <laughs> you are called to ministry and you think it's the arts, but it's not. It's the ministry of God. And God's hands on your life. And he's ordained your journey. And he's brought you to this place to lead. He prophesied a bunch of other stuff about my family, which he could not have possibly known. And he uh, said a bunch of other stuff about uh, what my journey was going to be like over the next 10 years. And then he passed the microphone around to everyone else who thought they were a prophet. And the next people were like giving me more and more words of whatever. And it changed my life. Uh, in that moment, I had come here and I'd written, the person I was living with said, well, why don't you write like a little document about what you want to achieve? Because I was taking a gap year and I was here working with the arts, a charity that works with music. Um, and he said, why don't you write a document? I remember writing the document. Here's what I want to achieve in life. Number one, I would love to be uh, a performer. If I could be an actor, a magician, whatever, I would like to be on stage as I'd like to perform. Number two, if that doesn't work out, I would like to be a motivational speaker. I could travel around schools giving just encouraging talks to young people, uh, you know, 
don't smoke, don't do drugs, that sort of thing. Or perhaps I could go into the corporate world and say things like, I don't know, something cheesy like, it's all about culture and finding the why, you know. I believe that, obviously, but, geez, do we need any more motivational speakers trying to prove it to us? And number three, I was like, if that, if all of this fails, I'll go back to my hometown and when I retire, I'll become a pastor of a small Lutheran church. Context of my church at that moment was like, I grew up in a church of like 20 people, you know what I mean? I'll go retire, I'll become a pastor and be happy with my 20 people. But this prophet turned my life around. He literally flipped it upside down. To the point where performing became the least. He literally said the words, you think it's the arts, but it's not. It's the ministry of God. And he immediately tipped my life upside down and my gap year became a gap life. And I entered Bible college. Words have power. They change lives. Whether or not I believe in the intensity of this prophetic gift and the specificness of this prophetic gift, I have no doubt It changed my life, and God must have had a plan with those words. I guess God let the fish come in and the bones be spat out in that moment. I think even when prophetic gifts are used, uh, God does have the ability to guard your heart, and he wants you to go and test the words for yourself. Eat the fish, spit out the bones. We must exchange negative words for positive words. I want to bring out some things that stand out, stood out to me in this passage, almost like an arema sense. So I'm not saying that every uh, scripture I'm about to bring up now is the perfect exegetical explanation for the scripture that I'll show on the screen. But as I was reading it, things stood out to me. And uh, I think there's people in the room who need to hear these things, and I believe them to be true because of um, systematic theology, as in the rest of the book, uh, really tie into the stuff I'm about to say. And I sense that God wants to move in the hearts of people this morning, and I'm going to do that as creatively as possible. And I uh, encourage you to go along with me on this journey. It won't be for everyone, but I implore you to participate. Uh, Perhaps if we do this in unity, it will be good. First of all, the the scripture that stood out to me, negative words include uh, false teaching. Many of you should be, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I have no doubt that uh, us in this room, including myself, have over our lives heard false teaching. Uh, This can be simple as, uh, you know, the nitty gritty of religion, like, There's so many different denominations and we believe so many different things. Some of us have to be wrong. Do you understand? Like, we have the majority of Christianity baptising infants and churches like ours who don't. I'll keep my opinions on it very, very secret (laughs) until I have a child and then you'll know. (laughs) One of us is wrong. Do you understand? And we're talking 50-50. It's not like 90% of Christianity believe one or the other. It's 50-50. So one of us must be wrong. There's teaching like this, like the nitty-gritty. But I like to think of false teaching more like, uh, in this context, they're talking about in a world where Jews are becoming Christians, in a, in a very religious context, where uh, people are coming up and saying things like, maybe Jesus is just a prophet. Maybe he's not actually God. And that would be, that would be false teaching, and an easy mistake to make. 
in this time period. So what would false teaching look like in this day and age? Well, perhaps false teaching would be like the Muslim faith, which is the fastest growing religion and will overtake Christianity by 2070, all numbers predict. And those numbers don't predict that because we're shrinking, we are growing, it's just they're growing a lot faster. The number one world religion will be the Muslim faith by 2070, unless Jesus comes back beforehand, of course, and he's coming back soon, so who knows? I say that to say, I'm not knocking Muslims, but the false teaching there is Jesus is just a prophet. Do you understand? And that teaching is deceiving the world. It's growing. Not to every Muslim I've ever met is the kindest person I've ever met. But I'm saying if we're looking for the definition of false teaching, it is Jesus is just a prophet. Are you with me in context? False teaching is not like the minute stuff, just the minute stuff. False teaching is also the big stuff. Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus was just a teacher. Jesus didn't have a virgin birth. Jesus resurrected in spirit and not bodily form. The Trinity's not real. Uh, and people will be really sneaky with this sort of teaching. It does come out in Christianity where they'll say things like, well, show me the Bible verse that talks about the Trinity. But us pastors who have been to Bible college and all of you who have listened to good sermons and done your own study would know that the idea of the Trinity is throughout the Scripture in a systematic sense and you have to dig deep and find it. Do you understand? A false teaching would be a, a sneaky little teacher who comes in and says, well, where really is the Scripture about the Trinity? It's big stuff. And I think it is easy for us to forget the big stuff. When I grew up, in order to take communion... I had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. When I first moved to the Central Coast and I went to a church where they gave communion to children, I, I was like shocked. I was shocked. I was like, how can these kids possibly understand what they're doing? I literally had to memorize the Apostles' Creed before I was allowed to go do that. Now, to be fair, it was real wine. And uh, when you're a 14-year-old who's just gone through uh, confirmation lessons, you go up for your first swig. Uh, you can just see the dads standing on the sideline just to watch all the faces. First communion's like, oh, what is that? What is this juice? So I guess it's a different context. They don't want to give the three-year-olds uh, port. But um, I was shocked because I had to memorise the Apostles' Creed. I had to know what I believed. Uh, uh, you need to come up with your own theology and understanding of whether you'll let your children take communion. But for the Lutheran faith, that was a big deal. It can be so easy to forget. I think uh, in youth, we don't get to do a Trinity sermon every week. But every now and then when we do, kids are shocked. Because when you tell them that Jesus is God, which we're saying all the time in our songs and in our talk, in, our general, in which we know all know Jesus is God, some kids will come up and say, but I thought he was God's son. Do you understand? Sometimes we forget the basics. And I think it's important to declare them. I hope you'll all have fun with me on my journey this morning because I want to declare some words and I want us to do it together. Um, actually, I'm going to invite Elijah Copeland to, to help me, actually. <sighs> Here, Elijah, would you take this microphone? I think it's important that we take all the false things we've ever heard about Jesus, follow me, Elijah, and we replace them with true things we've heard about Jesus. Uh, because um, Ephesians 4, 14, 15 says, 
that we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people with their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. So we must take these false, or any false teaching we've ever heard, and we must replace it with truth. And so, if you'll join me this morning, I would like to sing the creed. Now, it's going to take me a second to get set up here, but this is, this is important to me. And I'm not going to make you, uh, I'm not going to make you um, stand up or, or, or sit down. You can just sing it with me seated. But I want to literally declare some positive words this morning. And I'm going to stand at the back because this isn't about me. This is about those words. Declaring what we believe. Does that make sense? Elijah Copeland's going to help me because he has a better voice than me. And this is going to be somewhat terrifying for some people because uh, I have a voice that uh, I need to sing really loud. So sorry, Adam. Uh, In order to get the notes out. And so it's the only way I can do it. Okay, let's see here. Let's see here. Maybe you want me to sing it over you, but at some point, I want you to be bold and I want you to join in. If you're watching at home, you can read the words over and over again. And I'll promptly uh, edit the YouTube video later to remove any evidence of this. Elijah, when you get the harmony, you can join in at any point. But we need to take any false teaching and we need to replace it with truth. That's what we're going to do this morning. Oh, there we go. And does this work, Mikey? That covers up the, um, the bad notes. A bit more on that, Mikey, just slightly. Thank you, thank you. Let me sing this, but eventually I'm going to ask you to join in. Because I want us collectively to speak truth over ourselves and over each other and declare what we believe. Sing it with me, as loud as you can. I'm playing with a pick now, so it means I have to sing louder. I believe in the whole 
this next verse is stuff that we don't often get a chance to preach about unless it's like Christmas. But this is important. This is stuff we believe too. We need to remind ourselves of this. So we just second sing the second verse with me. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Words, boasting and self. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Uh, theologically, I think it's talking about, yeah, the tongue, if the tongue could talk, it would boast of being the best member of the body. But what stood out to me was the word boast, and I thought about the times that I've been prideful and uh, boasted of great things. But I believe we should replace this. Uh, instead of boasting in self, I believe that we should obviously boast in God. 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And of course, he's quoting Jeremiah 9, 24, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Uh, this song's really special to me because it was so huge when I first moved to the coast. And in some sense, growing up in a Lutheran church, I'd never seen a lot of passion. When I moved to the coast, I saw a lot of it in the Pentecostal circles and I believe... That's something they're really good for uh, because, well, young people like me needed to see that you could have energy. We have reached the end time of my sermon, uh, so I am going to ask you to stand with me. And you might not know this song, uh, but I would love you to stand really quick and sing it with me once you learn it because we should boast in God. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.